welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17. This, it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, him being Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Who do you call or why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God, and you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And he said, and he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. We all know that's a lie, right? All these things I have kept from my youth. Sure you have, buddy. Okay. Then Jesus looking at him, here it is. Then Jesus looked at him loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had a great and many possessions. This week as I was preparing, I was praying, it was actually this past Wednesday, morning I was in the office and just praying trying to hear from the Lord what he'd want me to share for this morning and I heard one simple phrase and Gail it's the title of our message today one simple phrase and it was people are not projects and it was just strange that he said I wasn't thinking about any of that kind of thing but but he just said that simple phrase to me as I was just praying he just said people are not projects. People are not projects. And I, uh, I've heard that phrase maybe said in variations before, but I know it was the word of the Lord. People are not projects. And when I was asking him, what do you mean by that? What, what, do you wanna, what are you saying there? He took me to this passage that I just read there in Mark chapter 10 about the rich young ruler. And especially he highlighted that verse in verse 21 where he says, Jesus looked at him loved him, and then said to him, and then it goes on. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and then began to speak. And what I love about what the Lord was revealing there was there was no ulterior motives in Jesus in that moment. There was no agenda in Jesus. He looked at him, loved him, and then began speaking the truth to him. And I'm afraid, I know this is the way I've, I've, I've viewed people before, especially as a pastor wanting to grow a church and wanting to do things in the church. It's easy to look at people and not look at them with love, but look at them as a project. To look at them and say, Man, if we can get them saved, imagine the testimony that they could share from the platform. Imagine what they could do for the kingdom. And none of that was on Jesus' mind. He just loved the guy. There was no agenda. There was no hidden agenda. Listen, if we were to see the rich young ruler, right, this guy comes up to us and he's like, has, shows any interest at all in church, 
man, we are going to jump all over that, right? Like, like we're going to get this guy. Not only is he interested, he's rich. Imagine his tithe check, right? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? You know, I never think that way, but you know, some people do, you know, you know, that we would be all over it. But Jesus had none of that. He just, he just loved him. He just looked at him and loved him and he loved him enough to speak the truth to him. What does it say in in verse 22, or I'm sorry, not verse 22. It says, let me finish reading verse 21 there. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, take up your cross, and follow me. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus isn't condemning the guy for being rich. Listen, I've heard that argument a thousand times with this scripture. I can take you to about 500 other scriptures in the gospel that show you that Jesus isn't worried about wealth unless the wealth is your first love. There's so many other times in the Bible. In fact, it says Abraham was so rich because of his relationship with God. I'm going to read another story to you of a rich man where Jesus, and here in a little bit, where Jesus never once asked him to let go of his money. So it has nothing to do with his money. Jesus, what Jesus is saying here in this moment is your first love, what you are living for is your wealth. And if you want to experience eternal life, then you have to lay that down and pick me up as your first love. You have to let go of what's holding your affection now and place your affection upon me. Come, take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus was telling him. He was saying, you want to inherit eternal life? I love you enough to tell you that there is a cost to it. There is a cost to following me. Listen, salvation is absolutely free, but at the same time, it's not. There is a cost. Listen, what does it say? That, it, that uh, I'm not going to quote it exactly right. I'll paraphrase it. But the, the builder looks, before he ever begins building, he looks and figures the cost to see if he has enough to finish the project. There is a cost to following Jesus. And Jesus loved this man enough to tell him, listen, you're going to have to give something up if you want the real thing. And it says that, that the man was sorrowful at this word, for he loved his possessions. And he turned around and he left. And what does Jesus do? He watches him leave. He doesn't chase him down. He doesn't, oh, hold on a second. He lets him leave. This, this God who we know loves this man with all of his heart, who loves him so much that he's going to go to the cross and die for him, who loved him enough to tell him the truth, did not chase him down and tell him, no, come back here. Let me, let me, let me try to convince you a little bit more. And I've always wondered, like, like, Jesus, why didn't you chase him down? Like, listen, he showed, he, he wanted to know the gospel. He wanted to have eternal life. Why didn't you pursue him any further? And, I, and as I was studying, I felt like the Lord shared this, said this to me. He said, if I, if I would have chased him down, there would not have been an authentic repentance. Sure, if I chased him down, I could have maybe got him to change his behavior, 
but his heart would have never been for me because his heart would have still been for his possessions. Man, and, and I, I go back to and I look at different interactions I've had with people, trying to get them to church, trying to get them to change their behavior, right? They're, they're using alcohol or drugs or they're cussing or they're, they're doing whatever. And it's like, man, I just need to get them to be holy. And the Lord is saying that, that, that behavior modification isn't salvation. Church attendance is not salvation, we can get them to come into the doors. We, you know, if we were in Jesus' place and the rich young ruler walked away, we'd go, hey, buddy, hold on, hold on. No, don't just come visit for one Sunday. I promise you'll love it. We've got life groups, right? You can come to a life group. People are going to love on you. Don't you love that expression? My least favorite Christianese expression is we're going to love on you. Doesn't that just feel weird to you? I don't know. It makes me feel weird. But we, we love that phrase. We're just, just come on, buddy. We'll love all over you. We're going to love you, you know? We would have chased him down, but, but how many times do we do that? We get people in the doors, but there is never any uh, true, authentic repentance. We may get them to change their behavior and maybe vote the way we want them to vote, but, we'll, but, but unless there is a, a true repentance, unless there is a laying down of your first love and taking up uh, the, the cross and following him, then it is not real, true, authentic repentance. People are not projects. Our job is not to get them through the doors. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus and allow him to radically change their way of thinking, to repent and to lay down their love of this world and pick up their love for Jesus, the one who loves them more than we could ever imagine. People are not projects. I'm reminded of, uh, of a neighbor we used to have. And uh, this neighbor was, they, they were kind of to themselves most of the time. You were, they were the kind of people you'd wave at them. They would maybe wave back or they'd kind of give you the look like, I don't want to talk to you. You know what I mean? And uh, they were very, uh, very just put off by a lot of things. They're, I know that other neighbors have had, had had different altercations with them. And they were just those kinds of people, you know, just really rough, really difficult to get to. And uh, so I, I, you know, I would try to be friendly and, you know, they were sometimes friendly back. Other times, again, they weren't. And then winter came and uh, snow started falling, which I am not looking forward to, by the way. I'm going to hold on to August as long as I possibly can. So winter came and uh, I'd go out and I'd shovel our, our driveway. I'd shovel our, our snow. And I knew that these people, they had health issues. Um, he, he had issues with his lungs. Uh, this lady, uh, his wife, I know, just had different health issues as well. They were a little older as well. And so I decided, you know, I'm just going to go over and just begin shoveling their, shoveling their sidewalks. And so I'd get done with mine, then I'd walk over and I'd shovel their sidewalks. And the first, the first time I did it, nobody came to the door. Nobody did anything. I just did it. The second, second or third time I did it, all of a sudden I, I was shoveling their sidewalk. The door opened. And it's, it's the wife standing there, and she's just kind of looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? Like, why are you shoveling my driveway? And I was like, oh, I just figured I'd just go ahead and get yours while I was getting mine. No big deal. Well, thank you very much. And then I noticed uh, throughout that time, all of a sudden, they were waving back at me. You know, I'd wave, they'd wave back at me. 
you know, I'd be walking, I'd be walking uh, somewhere, walking by their house, and they would uh, be outside mowing, and all of a sudden, they would strike up a conversation with me, and I, the first time it happened, I was like, like, you know, what's going on here? You know, these guys are talking to me. And then we just have a little conversation. And before long, they were bringing cookies over to our house for the kids, uh, just talking to us on our front porch. And it was just like this total transformation. And all I did, the only thing I changed was I shoveled a little snow for them. Just loved on them, you know? I'm going to say that now, this whole time. Just, showed, just loved on them, you know? <laughs> just shoveled their driveway. Towards the end of, they eventually moved away. A few weeks, or it was really probably a few months before they moved away, I was outside working on something, and he drives up and pulls up in my driveway and uh, comes out and starts talking to me. And he, he said, Josh, I just, I just need to tell you something. He said, I, I just found out, it was, I think it was the day before, I just found out I have lung cancer, and they've only given me maybe a few months to live. And it's just really bad. And he was already he was already on oxygen. He was already already struggling in that way, anyways. And now he he has lung cancer. And he began just just telling me all of this. Just and, and you know, uh, it, which was just so strange because just a few months before he wouldn't even wave, and now he's in my driveway, pouring out his heart telling me all of these struggles, all of these, these decisions that he's going to have to make. Like, I'm just wondering who's going to take care of my wife after I'm gone. You know, what, 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 where, I don't know if I have the finances to really support her. All of these things, he began just pouring out his heart to me about all of this. And I had the opportunity in that moment to talk to him a little bit about Jesus. You know, and, and I offered, I looked at him, I offered, I was like, hey, I believe in the power of healing. Can I pray for you? And you know what? He turned me down. He, would, he wouldn't let me pray for him. But I said, you know what, that's okay. I'm gonna pray for you anyways. Uh, I'll just pray for you when I'm, when I'm in my own prayer time. I'll just, be, I'll just keep you lifted up in prayer. And, and from that moment on, he just kept, he just would share things with me. And uh, we just had, ended up with this really good relationship. And... Um, and it all just came from just showing, just showing him love. I didn't chase him down. I didn't keep inviting him. You got to get him to church. You got to come to church. It was just, I'm going to show you the love of Jesus. And because of that, there was this open door then to be able to share the gospel with him. I felt like the Lord gave me this statement. I want to share with you. If I can find it. We have to learn to love people before they look like us. We have to learn to love people before they look like us. And I'll take it a step further. We have to learn to love people if they never look like us. Our job is to introduce them to the one who can change absolutely everything. Our job is not to change them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, obviously, let me say this. He can obviously work through us, and I believe he absolutely does to bring transformation in their life. But our job is to look at them, to love them, and to give them truth. In the midst of their sin. Listen, in the midst of the rich young ruler's messed up way of thinking, Jesus loved him. 
And I'm wondering how many of us struggle with that. It's easy to love the people sitting in this room right now, right? Because they're like-minded. They believe the same way we do. Uh, they feel the same way about different topics that we feel. But when it comes, but how, how are we when we interact the homosexual? How easy, easy is it to love someone who believes so differently than what you believe? Doug, how easy is it to love the man who walks in, who smells bad, who is, is addicted to drugs, and probably in that moment uh, on drugs right then, how easy is it to love them in that moment? It's not that easy sometimes. But that's what we're called to do, that, if, that before they look like us, we love them. And if they never look like us, we love them. Amen. That same day that the Lord gave me that, that phrase, people are not projects, uh, I read this article. Uh, and honestly, I'm not sure where it came from. I don't know if Pastor Ron, is, uh, if it came from you at some point in time, but there's, it just appeared on my desk one day and it was incredible. It was actually probably a couple months ago this appeared on my desk. Uh, and what it was, was it's an article written from the perspective of, of people leaving the church. And it was like five reasons why people are leaving your church. Was that you, Pastor Ron? Who? Oh, well, whoever it was, thank you. That was awesome. So uh, anyways, there's a section of that article I want to read. Again, this is from the perspective of people leaving the church. It says this. It says, church, can you love us if we don't check all the doctrinal boxes and don't have our theology all figured out? It doesn't seem so. Can you love us if we cuss and drink and get tattoos? Amen. God forbid... <laughs> Can you love us if we cuss and drink and get tattoos and God forbid vote Democrat? Everybody in the room go, ooh. <laughs> we're doubtful. Can you love us if we're not sure how we define love and marriage in heaven and hell? It sure doesn't feel that way. From what we know about Jesus, we think he looks like love. The unfortunate thing is you don't look much like him. Ouch. From what we can see, Jesus looks like love. The unfortunate thing is you don't look much like him. I pray that you let that pierce your heart this morning. That you don't take offense to it. That you don't immediately start making uh, excuses. But you allow that to pierce your heart and ask yourself the question, do I love like Jesus does? Do I love like Jesus does? In the past, I've done this before. I don't know if I'll do it this morning necessarily, but I've list, I'll, I, in fact, I might do it just a minute. Just go ahead and close your eyes. We'll do a little heart check real quick this morning. I know this is a little bit more low-key than normal, but I feel like this is good and this is so needed. Let's close our eyes. Let's do a little heart check. I'm going to say a name, and I want you to take inventory of the emotions that shoot through you when I say the name. Mother Teresa. Everybody loves Mother Teresa. That's an easy one. Pastor Ron. Everybody loves Pastor Ron. Joe Biden. That one might be a little harder. 
Hillary Clinton. Jackie Meyer. Barack Obama. I think that's got it. I can't think of any more names, so that's good. <laughs> what did you feel when you said that when I said those names? I didn't ask, do you agree with them? But what did you feel? I think I think a lot of times we make the mistake of treating people based off of their actions when Jesus never did that, right? Jesus never defined a man by his sin. He defines us by who he says we are. Thank God for that, right? That you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by the fact that he says you are the beloved, the son and daughter of God. And that's who you are, not your mistakes. Yet so many times, how many or how many times do we define people based off of their sin and their mistakes? And when we begin to define people by that, it's really difficult to show them any love. It's really difficult to love them as Jesus loves them. And listen, I'm not saying agree with them, and I'm not saying, you know, whatever. But I am saying our job is to love them, regardless of how we feel about their positions, about what they're doing. We are called to love. Amen? We are called to love them. What if we stopped or what if we loved people like that? What if we stopped trying to get them to behave a certain way and just love them first? Listen, there's another story in Luke, in, in, uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 19, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it to you in this way. There once was a wee little man named Zacchaeus, and a wee little man was he. He heard Jesus was going to pass by that day. And the Lord he wanted to see, right? So he climbed up in, come on, sing it with me. A sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I don't know the rest of it, so that's good. <laughs> so Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, I know this day and age we don't like tax collectors either, but back then they were hated. They were they were worse than any prostitute, right? Their sin was worse than any of those things because in those days, those tax collectors, I shouldn't say just in those days, in these days as well, but they were crooks, right? <laughs> they stole money from people who were already poor. That's how evil these people were. So this man was extremely wealthy, just like the rich tax or the rich young ruler. This man had just crazy amounts of wealth. And he gained it by stealing from people who were already poor. The worst kind of person, right? So he hears Jesus is coming to town and he wants to see Jesus. He's heard all these buzz words about Jesus and he wants to see the man for himself. So he's, he's really short. He can't see over the crowd. He climbs up in a tree. As Jesus is passing by, he looks through all of the crowd and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and yells to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down from there. 
I need to go to your house today. Now, if we look over it, we miss that what Jesus just did there was he had a word of knowledge. Nobody told him who Zacchaeus was. But he looked up in the tree and he goes, your name's Zacchaeus. And I'm supposed to go to your house today. He was, he was being led by the spirit inside of him. So Zacchaeus comes down. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. He eats there with Zacchaeus. By the end of their visit, Zacchaeus looks at him and he says, Jesus, he said, if I've ever wronged anybody, I'm going to pay them back. In fact, I'm going to pay them back. I, I, think, it's, I think it was double or, or triple or something like that. I'm going to just overpay them back. If I've ever wronged anybody, that's what I'm going to do. The crazy thing about this story is that as you read through the passage, Jesus never once asked him to do that. He never once listed out the man's sins and the man's wrongdoings. He just went and ate lunch with the man at his house. He just loved Zacchaeus right where he was at before he changed a single thing. And the response to that love was correct behavior. But I'm afraid too many times we expect the right behavior before they encounter the love of Jesus. We get it backwards, right? They need to encounter the love of Jesus. And out of that overflow of love comes right behavior. Now, listen, it's true. I don't know what Jesus said to him at the dinner table, right? I don't know what he said. But I do know what he said to the woman caught in adultery. That the woman caught in adultery, the, the people bring, the, the Pharisees bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus as Jesus is teaching a multitude of people. And they bring her before them and they say, what are we supposed to do to her? I won't go through the whole story, but the main part of the story I want you to understand is Jesus kneels down and begins writing in the dirt. Now, nobody knows what he wrote in the dirt, right? Nobody knows what, there's, there's different ideas, there's different uh, uh, opinions of what he was doing when he wrote in the dirt. But what I want to ask you is this one question. Where would the prostitute's eyes have been if she was standing in front of a multitude of people being accused of sin? Her head would have been down, right? So what was Jesus really doing in that moment? I believe he was bent down right here so he could catch her eyes so that she could see the fiery love of Jesus in his eyes. And listen, the story seems like it's about the Pharisees, but the, the, the Pharisees honestly are totally secondary to the story. The story is not about Jesus schooling the Pharisees. That's not the main message of the story. The main message of the story is the love Jesus showed to this woman who was just caught in the very act of sin. And listen, the Pharisees were absolutely right. If you go back to the Old Testament, it says that if a person, a man or a woman, which that's a whole nother thing, is caught in adultery, it says that the uh, penalty for that sin is to be stoned. So by the, the Pentateuch, by the law of Moses that is in your Bible right now, the Pharisees were absolutely correct that this woman deserved to be stoned according to the law of Moses. But Jesus bends down, captures her gaze, 
so that she could see the fiery love of Jesus. We know the story, Jesus, they keep pushing Jesus to give them an answer. He stands up and he says, if any one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And then what does he do? He goes right back to the ground. It was almost like Jesus was just like, he he wasn't worried about the Pharisees. It was like, I'm just going to get them out of the way for a second. And then I'm going to get right back down to where I'm supposed to be, which is one-on-one with this woman who needs to encounter my love. And so the Bible says one by one, they drop their stones because they realize that none of them are without sin. They drop their stones. And before long, it's just the woman and Jesus. The woman and the very one, the only one in the room who had the right to throw the stone. He was spotless and sinless and justice is his. He had every right to pick a stone up. But what does he do instead? He looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? She looks around and she says, they've all left. He looks at her and he says, neither do I accuse you. He stops in that moment. Neither do I accuse you, even though I have every right to. My love for you is greater. And in this moment, I'm going to let you encounter my love. And and he says, neither do I accuse you, offers grace and mercy. And then he looks at her and says, go and sin no more. And he shows us this pattern that in order to get correct behavior, you have to have authentic encounter, an authentic encounter with the love of Jesus. And out of authentic encounter with the love of Jesus, then correct behavior can become, uh, can, can be established. But sometimes I think we get it backwards. We want people in church. We want people to stop doing what they're doing, but they have never encountered the love of Jesus to the point where they're willing to give up their first love and set him in that position as their first love and follow him with all of their heart. And what we end up doing then is we get a bunch of people in church that have no relationship with Jesus because we're just excited that they're in the pew. There's so much more to just being here. There's so much more than just getting correct behavior. There has to be an encounter with the love of Jesus. There has to be an encounter with the love of Jesus. Amen. I wanted to tell this quick story, even though I've kind of passed the area uh, that I was going to tell it in, but it's, it's just funny. So Sean Bowles tells a story. Sean Bowles is a minister. Um, I'm going to finish up here with this story and one last thing. Sean Bowles is an is a, uh, incredible man of God who has this incredible gift for the prophetic and getting words of knowledge. And one day he was, uh, he was ministering uh, in this area in this town. I can't remember what town it was. It may have even been another country. I can't remember. But he was ministering in that area. And uh, the, the, the people were driving him everywhere. The, the leaders of the, the, um, the conference that he was speaking at were just taking him to and from the hotel and all of those things. So he didn't have a vehicle. So his hotel was here and what they would call the red district, 
was just around the corner, which is the red district. If you don't know what that means, that's where, that's where a lot of prostitutes would be. That's where um, drugs and alcohol would be dealt, those sorts of things. So just really rough area. So uh, he gets taken back to his hotel and he's, he's sitting in his hotel and he's like, man, I'm starving. Uh, but he doesn't have a car. The closest place for him to go is a subway in the red district. So he just leaves the hotel and he begins walking and he walks down the road. He turns the corner and he begins walking down the road in the red district. As he's walking down the road, this prostitute approaches him to offer her services. And he looks at her and he gets, I don't remember what the, what the word was, but he gets a word of knowledge for this, for this, this woman, right? And what, what a word of knowledge is, if you don't fully know what that is, a word of knowledge is like, is... Uh, it's, it's a word, it's a download from the Lord about something about that person that you would have no way of knowing unless you ask them. So for instance, you know, for Sean, a lot of times he'll get like uh, their birthday or something, right? So he'll be talking to him and he's like, is your birthday October 22nd, 1988, which is my birthday, by the way. Uh, and they would be right, you know? So that's kind of like what a word of knowledge is. So he gets this word of knowledge for this, this, this lady and uh, she begins just breaking down. He begins ministering to her, praying for her. So at the end of him and praying for her, he goes in and he hugs her and she's just bawling on his shoulder because the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the encounter uh, that she's having with Jesus is just so real and authentic. She begins just bawling and he's just standing there in the street hugging her. At that very moment, the leaders of the conference <laughs> drive by <laughs> and see Sean Bowles hugging a prostitute <laughs> on the street. You know, so anyways, I think, you know, they obviously called and had some questions for Sean in that moment. And he explained what, what, what happened and they were obviously okay with it at the end. But it's just the love of Jesus if Sean would have went to, she approached him and he just began, listen, you need to stop this. This is, you know, ungodly. This is blah, 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 sinful. She probably would have just, she knows all of that, right? Deep down, deep down, the Lord has put in our human nature what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. Deep down, everyone knows when they're doing something wrong. She knows that, but she didn't need the correction. She needed the love of Jesus, and out of that love, then she could find the way of life. She could find uh, the correct behavior. Amen? It's encountering the love of Jesus. Right? People are not projects. People are not projects. I'm going to read, I'll end with this verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We couldn't talk about love without the love chapter, right? Let me just end with this verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Sorry, I I thought I had it marked out here, but I didn't. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? It's the one read at every wedding ever. Here we go. First Corinthians chapter 13, it says, if I were to speak with eloquence 
and earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels. Yet I didn't express myself with love. My words would be redundant, would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging symbol. Listen, listen to that. Feel the weight of that. If I could speak in the language of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, it would just be like clanging cymbals. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Listen, these are the things that we do to make people heroes in the faith, right? The most powerful man of God is the one that can stand up there and prophesy. The most powerful uh, uh, people or the ones we call heroes are the martyrs in the faith that were burned at the stake. But But the Bible here is saying that you can do all of those things, but if you do it without the motivation of love, then it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'll make it even more personal here. At Harmony House, we could serve the entire city of Elwood We could pull those people out of that lifestyle and it would be great. But if we did it without love, then the Bible tells us it was for nothing. It was for nothing. Love is large and incredibly patient. That'll preach by itself. Love is patient. How many of us can say we lack patience? We want to see people transformed right this second right? Right this minute, we want to see a shift. If we don't see it, it's hard for us to continue showing love. But the Bible here says that love is large and is incredibly patient, that we are going to continue loving if you don't look like us. And if you never look like us, we are going to continue loving because love is patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quickly to take offense. Church, we need to hear that just for our own selves, right? Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love is joyfully, love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never stops believing the best for others. Love doesn't see their sin. Listen, back to the story of Zacchaeus. There's this passage where it says that the people were questioning Jesus going to his house. And he said, why would he go to the house of a sinner? 
All they could see in Zacchaeus was his sin and his failure. But love sees the best in others. Love sees past the sin and the failures and sees that best. It sees the son and the daughter of God. It sees the one who was made righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus. Love sees the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. People are not projects. People are not projects. Our job on this earth is to love like Jesus did, that just as Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and his messed up thinking and his messed up theology. Listen, I skipped some of my notes, but just thinking like, just think of how Jesus thinks in heaven about our theology, right? How many denominations are in the world? You know, like the Baptists have like 50 just within the Baptist denomination, right? There's all different kinds of different ways to uh, believe and interpret the scripture. And Jesus is, I'm sure Jesus, who is perfect theology, is sitting in heaven like, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder, I wonder how many times Jesus has cringed at something I've said on this stage, right? Like, yeah, that's not quite right, buddy. You know, like, like but yet he still shows up. He still shows up. He still shows favor on us. He still loves us. He still gives us his presence. Even though we've got some stuff messed up, he still loves us so much that he, he shows up in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our confusion. And that's exactly what he did with the rich young ruler. In the midst of the dude's messed up way of thinking, he just loved him. And that's how we are to see people, not as projects, not as another family to count among the ranks in the church, but as someone to love, as someone to care about with a genuine, uh, with a genuine love. Amen. Jesus, I just prayed this morning. God, I just pray that you would give us a grace to love like you love. Father, that just as you see past sin and failure and you look for the best in everyone, God, I pray that we would have a grace to see the best in everyone around us. God, that we would have prophetic eyes to see not just what's happening in the moment, but to see what could happen in the future. God, that people would encounter the love of Jesus through our love, Father. God, that you have loved us with an incredible love. Lord, let us love others with that same love, Jesus. God, and I believe that when we begin to love others like you did, God, when we don't see them as projects, when we don't see them as someone to win or a badge of honor, Father, that when we can see them as you see them, as somebody who is just loved by the Father, that, that in that moment, that's what will change things that people will have a genuine encounter with real love and that will change their entire outlook on life. That behavior is modified by an encounter with love. 
God, I thank you for the love that you loved us with. God, and again, just grace us to love others the way you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, it's time to go love other people. Amen. It's time to go love. So we love you all. We hope you have an incredible week. I hope you uh, stop by and sign up to help at Harmony House. It's over here on the table um, right by the doors here. Um, We love you all. Have an incredible week. We are going to take up the chairs, but not the stage today. So if you wouldn't mind helping us with the chairs, that'd be, uh, we'd be very grateful. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Love you. Still